Christ Jesus our Lord. From the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, says the Lord. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the heathen, says the Lord of hosts. Let us pray. Eternal God, who at the baptism of Jesus revealed him to be your Son, anointing him with the Holy Spirit, grant to us who were born again by water and the Spirit, we pray you would grant us the presence of your Holy Spirit in our worship today. Be present with us now, we pray. Renew your people with your heavenly grace, and in all our weakness, sustain us by your true and living word, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first hymn is number 102, All Glory Be to Thee Most High.
The grace of God has dawned upon the world through our Savior, Jesus Christ. As the Gospel of John says, he's the light of the world, who sacrificed himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and to purify for himself a people of his own who were zealous for good deeds. Let us then confess our sin, for it is only through confession and knowing that we are forgiven and set right with God through Jesus Christ that we can be zealous for the good deeds that are pleasing to God. Let us pray together. O Lord God, eternal and almighty Father, we confess and acknowledge before your holy majesty that we poor sinners were conceived and born in iniquity and corruption, prone to do evil, and that in our depravity we have transgressed your holy commandments over and over again. Nevertheless, O Lord, we are sorry that we have offended you, and we deplore our sins with true repentance, asking for your grace to relieve our distress. As the light of your salvation dawned upon the world in Jesus Christ, who came and revealed your saving presence in signs and wonders and teaching, renew us with your heavenly grace, and in all our weakness sustain us by your mighty power. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. Beloved of Christ, hear the good news and believe it. Now you have been set free from sin and have become servants of God, receiving righteousness and eternal life through Jesus Christ. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ that all those who have faith in him and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. And this is the good news of the gospel. We say together, praise be to God. We confess our sin, we hear the assurance of pardon that comes for us through Jesus Christ. In essence, that's the gospel set out in a very simple way. And then we are called to obey. We are called to be people who pursue those zealous good deeds. Here, again, here the call to obedience. Saints of the living God, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus Christ says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We must follow the way of God who even shows his mercy to those who hate him. And so we are to do the same. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is the insert, When Jesus Came to Jordan. Oh, hi. 
which good news begins. He came to share temptation, our utmost woe and loss. For us and our salvation to die upon the cross. So when the dove descended on him, the Son of Man, the hidden years had ended, the age of grace begun. Let us bow our heads and join in prayer for those in need. Let us pray. Almighty and holy God, who in your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, grants us such great mercy, we praise you that he humbled himself in his baptism in order to save us from our sin. We thank you for sending him to be the light of the world and for establishing us as the children of his light in this world. We rejoice that you did not abandon your creation, but you have acted in Christ to reclaim and renew it. Give us the grace, we pray, to believe and live according to that good news so that we may truly shine in this world, this world for which Jesus Christ came, and that we may serve as agents of renewal in this world that has indeed fallen. We praise you for your sovereign and good purpose, for your good governance of your creation, and for the assurance that you are at work in all things for for our good and for your glory. Enable us by your grace to boldly, to boldly entrust our lives to you and so live in the freedom and joy which is ours in Christ. We pray now for the church. We specifically think of our presbytery and its, and its meeting this week. We pray that it would be uh, filled with wisdom, that your spirit would be at work there, and that there would be a humility and patience with each other. We pray for Martin Novak, pastor at New Life Fellowship in Holland and that church. We pray for Grace Covenant Church in Sheffield as they search for a pastor. We pray for your church throughout the world, including Ben Westerveld with his family in Quebec, and for other churches that are not Presbyterian, such as Good Shepherd Baptist Church and Emmanuel Lutheran Church not far away here in Southfield. We pray you would grant these growth in the faith hope, and love of Christ. Here are prayers for these churches, our presbytery, and other churches that come to mind. Especially we pray for the fortitude of your grace. We rejoice that you have sustained and blessed us another year, and now as we look forward to a new year, we seek your continued blessing. We pray for this world and pray that you would Work out your mercy and justice and peace in it. We pray for this world for a responsible and just peace in Ukraine, in Nigeria, in Iran, and on the Korean Peninsula, in New Orleans, in Chicago, in New York City. We pray for safety and protection in our own cities where there is so much violence and in our own metropolitan area. May there be respect for human life instead of dehumanizing people or regarding them as just merely something in our way. Hear our prayers for this world and the injustice and violence there. 
Do not let us forget that Jesus Christ is Lord, and not just Lord of his church, but Lord over all of your creation. Bless and prosper your people who serve you in their many vocations, here who are gathered in the various kinds of work they do, whether they're paid for it or not. And so we pray you would hear our prayers regarding our work in this new year. Show mercy to us in this country, in which this nation in which we live. We ask that you would work out your purposes, purposes that would draw people to yourself, to lift them out of their materialistic way of thinking, and for our government. We especially pray for our president, Joe Biden, for Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, for our senators, Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow, and our governor, Gretchen Whitmer. May they work to make good policies and uphold what is right. Hear our prayers. We pray for the ill, for those in pain, those who mourn, and those in trouble. By your grace, may they trust you. Give them the comfort and strength of your presence. Surround them with your love and power. May they know the fellowship of Christ who bore the pain and suffering of this fallen world for us. And at the last won victory over corruption and death. We remember especially Eduardo and Frida, Fawn, Jeff, Leah, and our friends Becky, Tom, Bob, Phil, Angie, Mrs. Mesner, Karen, Dominic, Gladys, and others we name to you in silence. And now, Almighty Father, ruler of all things in heaven and on earth, we ask you to accept the prayers of your people and strengthen us to do your will through Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
And now we pray for the reading and the preaching of God's word that the Spirit of God would um, assist us, enable us to receive it in faith. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would illumine our hearts and that we would see and hear and understand and we would be nourished by these words of life, for these words are our life. We have no life apart from your word. We pray that you would deepen our understanding and our faith and foster obedience in us in response to your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our reading begins in with the prophet Isaiah, chapter 42, the first nine verses. Hear now God's word. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, From the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor praise my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I will, I tell you of them. Psalter response is in the bulletin. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory to his name. Ascribe to the Lord his splendor. Ascribe to the Lord holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, and Syria like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. 
and in his temple all cry, Glory. The Lord sits May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Our epistle reading is from Acts chapter 10. Beginning in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. And how God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And now our gospel reading from Matthew. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Psalm 29 is an unusual psalm, and so this is going to be an unusual sermon. I debated not preaching it, because I don't want the sermon to be misunderstood. I guess we'll find out afterwards. I could have stuck to the standard lines about God's power and might, which are in Psalm 29, but that's not what Psalm 29 does. Therefore, I will follow the psalm, and therefore I will have an unusual sermon. Now, you've heard of the three-point sermon. Well, this is the three-thunderstorm sermon. The first thunderstorm is the scientific, modern scientific view of a thunderstorm. 
Thunderstorms were common occurrences where I grew up on the plains of eastern Colorado and where I pastored a church in western Kansas. And on the open prairie in the afternoon, you could see them coming from afar, these massive black clouds rising up into the atmosphere, moving steadily towards you. One time, my wife Heidi and I and our children had traveled to a town about an hour from where we lived, Garden City, Kansas. We bought groceries and then turned around to take the highway north out of town on our way back home. And we could see a thunderstorm rising up in the distance, approaching the road. It was a massive, dark storm. It was delineated by a wall of water, literally looked like a wall of water coming, with intermittent flashes of lightning, and we were driving straight into it. When we entered the leading edge of the storm, we began to experience its energy and power. I decided to pull over to the side of the road along with all the other cars and wait for it to pass. Often these thunderstorms produced high winds, hail, and lightning. This one had all of that, and it hit us with full force. Our car rocked back and forth. The rain deluged us. The hail pounded us, and the lightning flashed with brilliant bursts nearby. After about 45 minutes, the storm moved on, and we collected ourselves and returned to the road in order to continue our trip back home. Now, atmospheric scientists explain thunderstorms for us. So here's a basic explanation. I looked it up. Don't trust me for these kind of things. Thunderstorms result from the rapid upward movement of air, moist air, sometimes along a front. As the warm, moist air moves upward, it cools, condenses, and forms a cumulonimbus cloud that can reach heights of over 12 miles high. As the rising air reaches its dew point temperature, water vapor condenses into water droplets or ice, reducing pressure locally within the thunderstorm cell. Any precipitation that forms falls the long distance through the cloud towards the Earth's surface, and as the droplets fall, they collide with other droplets and become larger. The falling droplets create a downdraft as it pulls cold air with it, and this cold air spreads out on the Earth's surface, occasionally causing strong winds that are commonly associated with thunderstorms. The lightning forms from positively and negatively charged ions in the clouds. Since like charges charges repel each other, think about two sides of a magnet. If you try to put the two sides that are both positive towards each other, they repel each other. So that's what the uh, ions do that are like charged. They repel each other. The negatively charged ions on the Earth's surface are pushed away as the negative ions from the cloud come down, leaving the ground below the storm cloud with an overall positive charge. This forms an electric field in between the ground and the base of the cloud. This electric field allows for the negative ions to discharge down to the ground while the positive charges move upward. And that's it. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? That's it. Basically... That's all there is with this view of a thunderstorm. Now, it sounds very complicated and very detailed. It's thinking about a thunderstorm abstractly. It's the truth about thunderstorms, but it's not the reality of thunderstorms. The reality of the thunderstorm is the thunderstorm itself, like what my family and I experienced in western Kansas. When you are in the middle of a thunderstorm like that, you're not thinking about it in a disconnected, purely abstract way. Even the storm chasers, those 
cable shows where they show that storm chasers out there racing after these thunderstorms. When they, get, when they drive into a storm and get caught up in the reality of the storm, as their vehicle is being rocked about by the wind and the thunder, you hear them yell and they're huddling in their vehicle. Psalm 29 is not reduced to that kind of a thunderstorm. It's about the kind of thunderstorm that was used in ancient Near Eastern religions. It's about a mythic kind of thunderstorm. The second thunderstorm is the Ugaritic and Canaanite myth of a thunderstorm. These were uh, kingdoms or nations that lived uh, in the area that, that Israel moved into. In order to hear Psalm 29, it's helpful to be acquainted with this myth. In Ugaritic and Canaanite myth, there were two gods that battled each other, Baal and Yom. Baal was the weather god. He was associated with storm, thunder, and lightning. And in Ugaritic myths, Baal is known by several names. He's known as Lord of the Earth, Eternal to All Generations, Lord of Heaven, and Rider of the Clouds. The name, that last name, Rider of the Clouds, is most descriptive of Baal as the god of rain and storm. At the sacred city of Ugarit, there was found recently a large monument of Baal depicting him as the storm god. And in his right hand, held high, Baal holds a thunderbolt as a spear. He stands on the waters that are depicted by wavy lines, proving that he is superior over this life-giving substance of water. That's Baal. Yom was the Ugaritic god of mighty waters. Yom means sea. It even means that in Hebrew, sea. He's unruly and uncontrollable. The god of mighty waters was chaotic and destructive. Yom wanted control over all the land and all the gods. A conflict between Yom and Baal arises out of the desire of both to control and possess the earth. In that part of the world, in Palestine, towards the end of October, the dry summer months give way to cool, rainy months. And the first rains have been described as continuous and torrential, and the whole world seems blotted out in a smashing tumult of water. The Ugaritic myth puts Yom and Baal right in the middle of this. To the Canaanite mind, Yom was trying to gain control over all the land, and all seemed to be doomed. Because of floods and all this water, there would be no crops, and no crops meant famine. So in the mythic Ugaritic myths and poems, Baal conquers Yom. One of the mythic poems is set at a large banquet for the gods. Yom sends two messengers to this feast, and he calls out Baal to battle. He says to the chief god, remember there are lots of gods at this banquet, he calls to the chief god El, Give up the one you are hiding, the one the masses are hiding. Give up Baal and his powers, the son of Dagon. I will assume his inheritance. That's what Yom calls out to, to, uh, to the gods. And all the gods at this banquet lowered their heads to the top of their knees and onto their princely seats because they were afraid of Yom. Baal alone is standing and he rebukes the assembly for their cowardice and says, I will answer the messengers of Yom. And then Baal openly confronts Yom in battle. However, Yom does not go unprotected. Another god makes for Baal two clubs, and Baal smites Yom between the eyes. And here are some lines from that poem. Yom stumbled, he fell to the ground, his joints shook, his frame collapsed. And finally, Yom says, Lo, I am as good as dead. Surely Baal is king. Baal has conquered the unruly waters and becomes lord of all the earth. Baal had the power and ability to gain control over the waters by subduing Yom. 
To have Baal as lord of the earth meant that there would be order and consistency in the rains, and that brings fertility. That's the second thunderstorm. The third thunderstorm is in Psalm 29. Psalm 29 borrows the Ugaritic Canaanite myth of the gods and the thunderstorm, and it remakes this myth. Instead of a banquet for the gods, Psalm 29 places the gods in the cosmic palace of Yahweh, the God of Israel. They're gathered before his throne. Verse 1 begins with a proclamation, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. It's a summons to divine beings like Baal and Yom and El and Anat and Asherah and so on. But it's a general summons. It's a summons to every god. They are the ones called to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. In this palace, Yahweh is not sitting around with the other gods. He's enthroned above them. This proclamation is a call to worship Yahweh in his glory and power. And that glory has the characteristics of a thunderstorm. But this is no natural thunderstorm, nor is it the same thunderstorm of the Ugaritic gods. It is the thunderstorm of the Lord. It is a thunderstorm that comes from the sea, picture the Mediterranean Sea, and rolls out over the coastal mountains, the forests, and the wilderness that's beyond them. The voice of the Lord produces every effect of the thunderstorm. Starting at verse 5, it says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful. It keeps going. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord thunders. And the massive cedars of Lebanon are easily broken. And the calves on the hills run in fear. The voice of the Lord flashes with lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord thunders in the forests. The thunderstorm of the Lord is the glory of the Lord that displays his powerful rule. God has manifested his power and his glory. Almost every measure in Psalm 29 has the name Lord in it. Out of 21 measures, 18 of them include the name Lord. This is the Lord Yahweh. It's not a generic Lord. It's specifically Yahweh the Lord. It's the Lord Israel knew and worshipped. The name Lord is constantly repeated as a polemic against every other deity. Baal had the name Lord of the earth. Yom had the name God of many waters. No, they aren't, says Psalm 29. Psalm 29 makes a very important distinction. Baal and Yom were in the thunderstorms and the waters. The Lord is not in the thunderstorm. He cannot be depicted with a thunderbolt in his hand. The Lord uses the thunderstorm like a tool. His voice produces the effects of the, of the storm. His voice, however, is not the thunder. His voice is not the lightning. He does not sit in the thunderstorm. Verse 4 says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The Lord is enthroned over the waters. It's the Lord's power that rules the world. And he doesn't have to do battle with anyone. To gain, to gain control over them or power over them. He didn't have to be like Baal and Yom who had to fight for control. He doesn't have to do that with anyone. He doesn't even have to do that with you. In Psalm 29, the thunderstorm is simply what his voice produces. The Lord displays his glory with the waters. He doesn't have to conquer them. Now, I hope you see what this means. If every divine being is to worship the Lord and ascribe to him glory and strength, to describe to him the glory due his name, if that is what the heavenly beings must do, then so must we. If that's what they have to do, 
in the heavenly place, in the palace of God, then certainly that's what we have to do. Christian worship is doxological. It gives glory to the Lord. It's focused on the Lord. It's not focused on ourselves. I always cringe when I hear people talk about going to a church and they they rate it about how it makes them feel, about what kind of experience they had there. It's all about them. That's not what the focus of worship is. It's doxological. It's focused on the Lord. We gather here to give the glory due his name. We assemble to ascribe to the Lord glory and power. He's the Lord we worship over every rule, ruler, power, and authority in heaven and on earth. Now, our readings this morning pair Psalm 29 with the story of Jesus' baptism. Psalm 29 gives us background for Jesus' baptism. When Jesus was baptized, there was the voice of God on the water, just like in Psalm 29. Psalm 29 says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. And then in Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism, it says, A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Compared to the thunderstorm in Psalm 29, it was a quiet voice. It was a voice concentrated on Jesus Christ in the water. Nevertheless, it was the voice of the Lord over the water, and it's the same voice of power. The voice of the Lord produced the effects of the thunderstorm used in the psalm, and it was that same sovereign power at Jesus' baptism. The God of the power of God was at work with Jesus' baptism. It was the power of God's salvation. God's power sent his beloved Son to us. God's power commissioned Jesus for his mission of salvation his mission that would reveal God's salvation to the world, and his mission that would accomplish that salvation by dying on the cross. It was God's sovereign power, the same power as in Psalm 29, the sovereign power of God that is not the lightning and the thunder of the thunderstorm. God's sovereign power was not identified with the water, the wind, or any other created thing at Jesus' baptism. God's sovereign power is distinct from his creation. It comes from beyond the creation. It comes from God himself. God's voice identifies Jesus as the power of his salvation. He is the one we are to listen to and trust for our salvation. God's sovereign power in Jesus Christ rolls across the whole cosmos, across heaven and earth. Listening to the gospel story of Jesus' baptism with Psalm 29 we recognize the voice of God's sovereign power at Jesus' baptism. With Psalm 29, we see that God manifests his glory with myth. In the modern mind, and probably in your mind, myth is false, it's untrue. That's just how we define that word myth. C.S. Lewis, before he became a Christian, said, Myths are lies breathed through silver. Myth is considered primitive and childish, It's something we must get behind us. Today we understand reality with science and only with science. And true science, I must say, is good and right as far as it goes, but it does have its limits, and those limits are not very far out. As complicated and as detailed and as as analytical as that description of a thunderstorm was, it doesn't go very far out in terms of reality. Science gives us a near horizon of what is real. Unfortunately, the modern mind misses something important about myth, and is therefore going to miss something important about Psalm 29. Myth is about reality. With myth, we experience the reality. We don't just think about it abstractly. We're brought into it. 
For example, with Psalm 29, we're brought into the cosmic palace of God where the gods are summoned to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. We are taken into the reality of the voice of the Lord over the mythic thunderstorm, producing the lightning flashes, the booms of thunder that roll into the mountains and shake the forests and frighten the animals. And with this mythic thunderstorm, we experience the reality of God's power, his sovereignty, and his glory. We don't just think about it. We don't just talk about it abstractly. We don't just define it with a nice little prepositional phrase. We, we go right into it. Myth is foundational for how we understand reality. We need myth, and quite frankly, we can't get along without it. In general, human beings need myth. We need myth that helps us experience the reality of national identity. We need myth that helps us experience the reality of war. We need myth that helps us experience what it means to be fallen human beings. And most of all, we need myth that helps us experience the reality of God's power and salvation. Now, we've picked up a bit of this anti-myth thinking in the church. We prefer to explain texts in the Bible like Psalm 29 in abstract terms. For instance, I could have made the sermon on Psalm 29 about the attributes of God. The psalm talks about God's glory, his strength and power, his holy splendor and majesty. He manifests his glory in all his works. The psalm talks about God enthroned as king forever. God is sovereign. And you better be careful if you get a Reformed Christian talking about God's sovereignty. That sermon could go on for a while. God who manifests his glory in all his works, but fully in Jesus Christ is to be worshipped by everyone. And right there, you're beginning to hear the outline for a sermon. And it would be a good sermon. No doubt the attributes of God are evident in Psalm 29, but they remain abstract without the myth of the thunderstorm, you see? The attributes can be put as categories or definitions, but what about the experienced reality of God's power and sovereignty? Now, J.R.R. Tolkien was a friend of C.S. Lewis. He's the author of The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. And he responded to C.S. Lewis's comment that Christianity is a myth. Basically, Tolkien told Lewis that Christianity is the myth that is true. C.S. Lewis went on to become to become a Christian, and he wrote an essay in which he argues that Christianity is the myth that becomes fact. Christianity is the true myth, myth in the sense of expressing the reality of God's presence and work in this world. The Lord's glory and might are over the water. Jesus is God's power in action to save us. There's something more beyond what science knows. Science uses reason to gain knowledge about the universe we live in, and there's nothing wrong with that, as I said earlier. In fact, it can be argued that Christianity helps science develop because of its belief in God giving order to his creation, and science needs order to be able to replicate its hypotheses and experiments. Yet scientists can become arrogant and selfish in the work of science. Scientists are not neutral no matter how high they try or no matter how much they claim. There's always the personal influence of the scientist upon his or her work. Every scientist's personal experiences and ways of sharing knowledge has a profound effect on scientific discovery. The effect of this can be cumulative, and the work of science can take on an arrogance. Modern arrogant science asserts there's nothing more than this universe we live in. That reality is only what is material. The arrogance is the claim that there's nothing beyond the processes of the universe. And the work of science can become selfish. Only it has legitimate knowledge of reality. 
It can selfishly hold on to its knowledge as the only true knowledge. Now, there are many judicious scientists who know the limits of science. They will tell you that science only has knowledge of what is material, but that doesn't mean that that's all there is. Science cannot speak of what it cannot study. Even so, science has become so dominant as a base of knowledge in our society that Christianity and myth are poo-pooed and dismissed. I looked up that word, poo-pooed. It's a real word. <laughs> Decided to use it instead of a synonym. Psalm 29 and Jesus' baptism tell us that there is more to reality than what science can tell us. There's something beyond the physics and the biology. There's some, that something is the Lord over the thunderstorm, even Jesus who's baptized in the Jordan River. There is the Lord over the thunderstorm who by his sovereign power has come to us in Jesus Christ in order to save us from our sin. We must follow we must, I'm sorry, we must not allow our love for science to empty our faith of the reality of the power of God working for us in Jesus Christ. We must not allow science to empty our faith of the reality of the power of God working for us in Jesus Christ. John Calvin said something very interesting. I don't think he necessarily means science quite the way we think of it today, but this is a quote from him. It is a diabolical science which fixes our contemplations on the works of nature and turns them away from God. Nothing is more preposterous than when we meet immediate causes, however many, to be stopped and set back by them from approaching God. May the word of God help us to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength and worship him in the name of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known and worshipped and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us stand and confess our faith with the creed in the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is number 159, O Savior, Precious Savior.
remember that story in the Gospels where Jesus looked out upon the crowds that had come out to him, come out of the town to him, and he had compassion on them because they weren't just a mile or two out of town, but they were out in the wilderness. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he had them all sit down in groups upon the green grass, and then taking five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And there we sort of get a, a early sort of pre-Lord's um, Supper view of communion with Christ. We offer our thanksgiving to the Lord with confidence in the promise of Christ who said, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. This is a covenant meal with God. We do not come and sit here alone, but he is present with us. And we come, as we come, we surrender our wills and we... We become responsible to God alone. It's not our task to adjust to our world or to our society in a way that leaves God behind or, or ignores his word. We are to be obedient to God's will, which transcends all other wills. Our pledge as we come to this table is to live as faithful members of God's community of grace and peace, and that is the church. We join hands with our fellow Christians in a common loyalty to God, and all of this is laid upon us. If we partake of the Lord's Supper, Lord's Supper, here in this covenant meal, we belong to Jesus Christ. It is my privilege as Christ's minister to invite all who have been baptized, profess their faith in Jesus Christ, and are communicant members of a Christian church to come to this, his table. And let us remember his words of instru- uh, the instructions and words that he gave at the Lord's Supper that set off this meal from others, all other meals that we have, that the cup that we Drink is a fellowship and participation in the blood of Christ, and the bread that we eat is a participation and communion in the body of Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. Join with me now and give me thanks to God for our salvation and new life in Christ Jesus. The Lord be with you. Also Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is indeed right and good for us to give thanks to you, O Heavenly Father. We praise you that you have created us, that all things were made by you, and that you made them with great love and mercy. But especially we give you thanks for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whom you sent and who was baptized in those waters on the Jordan River, where he didn't become your son, he was already your son, but he was indeed commissioned and anointed to go forth as the servant of our salvation. We praise you and thank you that he did just that. He went out and taught and proclaimed and preached the word um, of the gospel, that he is our Savior, that he spoke and he did deeds, that showed that salvation for those who are sick, not just physically or mentally, but in the very clutches of Satan who are uh, under the power of sin. We thank you that he also went on not just to preach and teach about these things or demonstrate them, but to actually accomplish our salvation by dying on the cross. We thank you that he gave his life, the baptized one gave his life for us to redeem us from all sin and iniquity. We thank you that you did not leave him dead in the grave, but that he was raised in power and glory, and that his work 
was vindicated and set before us as the true work of, uh, for our salvation. We thank you that he ascended on high. And we thank you not only here on earth, but with all that host in heaven who are forevermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of heaven and earth, all praise and glory be to you. Oh, Father, we pray now that as we partake of these elements, as we eat them together with you and with each other, that you indeed would use them to nourish us, to strengthen us, to feed us, to seal us in Christ, and that we'd be confident as we partake of them of the promise that Christ has given, that whoever eats his flesh and drinks his blood abides in him and he in them. We We pray that as we go forth from here, having been nourished and strengthened by your word and sacrament, that we would be your faithful witnesses in this world to Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray, and we offer our thanksgiving, and together we say, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant set apart in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. sacrament, you have proclaimed the mystery of your love. Help us so to live out our days that we may be signs of your salvation in this world. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Our final hymn is number 311, Hail to the Lord's Anointed.
morning. All right. Uh, announcements for this morning. Uh, first off, as we've been uh, announcing, uh, today we'll be starting a new study on gentle and lowly uh, here in the um, uh, in the sanctuary, uh, and uh, Elder Kelly will be leading that. Uh, there still is one book left unclaimed on the book table if you need a book uh, for the study, so um, please uh, avail yourself of that. We just ask that you would donate uh, the money to cover the cost of the book. Um, and then also we have a um, another series started for the older youth of our congregation, uh, youth and maybe young adults perhaps, uh, Spellbinding Stories from Church History. Isn't that an enticing title? Spellbinding Stories from Church History. So uh, that will be in the library uh, following our break after uh, worship here. Um, also, please be aware that uh, next Sunday will be our congregational meeting at 11.30 a.m. The purpose will be to receive the budget and elect officers. Uh, John Caesars and Jack Hannum have been approved by the session for nomination. Uh, so uh, that will be very important for as many members to uh, be present for that and to stick around for the annual meeting just to make sure that we have the quorum necessary. Um, also related to that is on Saturday, next Saturday, at 10 o'clock at the Roberts House, we will have just a fun time together. It will, be, it will be on spellbinding. Yes, that's right. We're talking about the audit, the financial audit for the congregation. So um, I know Randy and uh, Joyce and Stephen Comer are uh, targeted for uh, the uh, be auditors this year. Uh, I promise it will be a enjoyable time. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> Just can't do that. Uh, we'll get through it. It'll go, we have it so that it's it goes very quickly, and so I'm not. Uh, uh, we should be done in about an hour, hour and a half at most. So. Are there snacks? Uh, I, I would have to defer to um, the uh, the other. Robert's house. Will there be snacks? Probably. Probably. There will be snacks. Probably. Uh, I know I can make coffee. I can do the coffee part of that. So we got that one down. Um, and then just finally, uh, the Presbytery meeting will be on Friday, this Friday, uh, and it's way out in Sheffield, Ontario. Uh, so please play, pray for uh, safe travel. That will be a long drive and a long day, I'm sure. Uh, so be in prayer for that. Uh, anything else? Um, yeah. My mom's in the hospital. She was taken there Thursday night. She's got congestive heart failure, and the prognosis is really not good. So we've got to make some decisions. Plus, I'm supposed to travel to Brazil on Wednesday, so now I've got to decide what to do about the trip. So just... You mentioned her twice in your prayer today in the, in the, it's a, a double mention. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything, let us know if there's anything that we can do to help out. Okay. All right. Um, the, the email announcement went out about um, the OPC's putting together car, uh, containers 
for sending supplies to Ukraine. They've put together 400 of those so far. So that email comes from the head, denominational headquarters or from the uh, uh, Foreign Missions Committee. So if you want to participate in that, um, it, it does indicate some ways. Namely, you have to contact them. There might be something we can do together, but it's going to have to be sort of a grassroots initiative, I think, if you want to do it. Um, but there are ways of you can easily send money for that to, to you know, if they would buy supplies. We can also buy supplies, ship them. So I, I think there's some options there, but if you want to be involved in that, that's out there for you. Okay. Denise. So I had yeah, it would have to probably be something like that. If, if there's any interest, then we need to refer to the deacons and they can sort of... I, I think there's interest, so um, if I can tag the deacons, do we have deacons here today? I know we have new deacons coming on. Oh, Bob, you're there, and Alan. Um, can you all take up beyond point for this uh, Ukraine get together? Probably the thing to do is look into the email and it's you know the um, phone number, all that, and talk to them and just see what they need and how we can participate in that. I don't think we're going to be able to go pick up a container somewhere and put it in the parking lot and fill it. So <laughs> it's going to have to be something shared with another church, probably. Okay. All right. If there's nothing else, we can go ahead and uh, take a break, and we will be back here at a quarter two.